Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We're continuing with our series, uh, Graves into Gardens. Today I want to talk to you about armies in, I'm sorry, bones into armies. And so if you would grab the Word of God, head over to Ezekiel chapter 37. This is where we're going to be camped out today. Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to look at the first 14 verses. And what you just heard on the screen there is, uh, like I said, it might sound completely strange and out of context, especially if you only take that one passage. But uh, what I want to do is I want to give you kind of a 30,000 foot view of Ezekiel so that we get a better understanding of what we're looking at, what we're reading today. And hopefully that little video right there will make a lot more sense to you. Uh, the book of Ezekiel uh, is actually a three-part book. It's, it's written in three sections. The first uh, 24 chapters are all about God declaring judgment on his people. Now, again, that sounds harsh, but the reason for that is because they've turned their backs on God, and uh, he's, he's letting them, uh, he's giving them up to their own desires. And, and then what you find out is from chapters 25 through 32, the people were actually taken into slavery. The, the Babylonians came down, and they, they ransacked Jerusalem and hauled them off, and, and uh, Ezekiel was one of those that was taken away. He, was, he became a slave, and uh, what God does in 25 through 32 is he actually declares judgment upon the Babylonians because they took advantage of his people when they were down. And then at the very end of this entire book, 33 through 48, is actually an amazing run of scripture because Ezekiel then is uh, prophesying God's restoration of his people. And so as harsh as this might sound, Ezekiel is actually a book about restoration. It's all about restoration. It was written about 571 BC while Ezekiel was still in Babylon. And he's coming to the end of his ministry. He's been there. He's been ministering as a prophet for about 20 to 22 years. And he's been uh, prophesying to the captive Israelites that are there in Babylon. Now, he is a prophet. I don't want you to get hung up on that word prophet because uh, we see this misused so often. But a prophet literally just means a carrier of God's word. That's what he did. God would tell him, hey, go tell the people this. And he would go tell him that. He would say, do this to demonstrate this, and that's exactly what he would do. And all of it was to carry a message to God's people, a message from God. And he was told to do some crazy things. Like, if you read through the book of Ezekiel, all the stuff that this guy went through was incredible. Uh, there's this one, uh, one time where he has to go inside of his house, and he has to bind himself with ropes, talking about the slavery uh, of the Israelites. Another time, he ends up laying on his left side for 390 days, and then he has to roll over and lay on his right side for 40 days. And uh, if you do the math, that's way over a year of just laying on his side. During that time, he has to ration his food. He eats all these weird things at different times. He has to cook all over it over, over animal dung and just crazy stuff. But, but if you read through the book, you'll realize God is sending a message, and he is, he's the conduct, he's, he's the conductor, he's the, he's the messenger that delivers this message to God's people. This is exactly what a prophet does. One of the hardest things that he has to do, though, is in chapter 24, is God tells him that his wife is going to die. 
and he's not going to be able to mourn her loss. He has to continue. He, he can't put on sackcloth. He can't do any of the, the traditions. He has to maintain his schedule, and he has to go about business like nothing changed. And it's a very, very difficult thing to read through the book of Ezekiel and realize all the stuff that Ezekiel went through because God was trying to show his people, look, you've turned your back on me, but I love you and I want you to come back and I want to restore you. And when you read through that, if you're like me, you probably will get to the place where you'll go, "Um, I wouldn't want to be a prophet. I I wouldn't want to. That's just too hard of a job. But the reason Ezekiel goes through all that, the whole point is because of the people's sin, that they've turned away from God and, and God is pursuing them. See, God's heart determines his actions. He loves his people and he pursues them. Uh, and sometimes he, he lets them, he gives them what they want. He lets them go through the consequences. But yet, even at the end of that, he still loves them and he still wants to bring them back. Why? Because God is a God of restoration. Uh, he's a God of restoration. He wants to restore his people. And the people have turned their backs so many times, time and time again, they would go and chase after other things, and each time, God would bring them back. He's a God of restoration. Uh, so some of why this is so important, because I know some of you in the room, uh, you have this idea that there's this Old Testament God and a New Testament God, like there's two different gods, and there's not. It's the same God, but yet, so often, I talk to people that feel like, well, the Old Testament God, he's just mean, and, and he's vengeful, and, and he's unjust, and I just can't, I can't serve a God like that. I want you to know that that's not the case at all. And, and I know where you could get that, where you could draw that out of Ezekiel, especially if you took it out of context. But, but when you look at the entire context of this book, what you find out is that it's because of the people. And God didn't have to go back and restore them. He didn't have to pursue them. But because of his love, because his heart determines his actions, he goes back to restore his people. And if you don't believe me, here's some homework for you this week. Uh, adults only, okay, because this is a pretty, pretty graphic chapter. If you go and read Ezekiel chapter 16, don't do it now, okay, do it later. Uh, chapter 16, it's written almost like a love letter. He uses uh, v- like verbiage that we would use within the context of a marriage. Like, like you were lost and you were alone and you were naked, and I came and I found you and I, and I pulled you to myself and I, and I clothed you and I put uh, gold and silver on you and I fed you. And, I, and he's just like, I love you. And we made a covenant with one another and yet you continue to pursue other people. You chase after other people. It, it's, it's got this, this adultery feel to it. And you'll see the heart of God in that. It's almost like a scorned lover. I love you. And you've cheated on me. You've walked away from me over and over again. And today, uh, we're in that part where we're talking about restoration. In Ezekiel chapter 37, when we get to that, what we're going to read today, the first 14 verses, it's actually broken into two sections. Uh, first 11 verses tell of a story or, or the vision that Ezekiel's going to have. And then 12 through 14 is the explanation. He's explaining exactly what he's seen. And so Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1, are you there? Yeah. Two of you? Okay, let's jump into this. Uh, here, here we go. In verse 1, it says this. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. Now, the first obvious question is this, did this really happen, or is it something else? And and it says here, uh, the Lord took hold of me. Some of your translations actually read, the the hand of the Lord was upon me, and you're going to see that again in another text I'm going to show you, but but it's used quite often, and and he says, I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord, And, and so what I want you to know is this isn't physically happening. This is a vision that God has given him. Why? Again, going back to what we said before, he's a 
prophet. God's going to give him a vision as a message that he wants carried back to the people. And so he's going to give him a vision. So this is a vision. We know all this because of the way the whole thing starts off. And this happens several times in the book of Ezekiel. And each time, God gives him a message to take back to the people. So let's see what this is. It says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to the valley, to a valley filled with bones. Verse 2, He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Now, uh, if I was in Ezekiel's sandals and, and God was giving me this vision, I think my first thought would be, wow, there's a lot of bones I hope I'm not next. Right? Like, I, I hope that he's not just going to leave me here and, and I'm going to become one of these. But what we find out is an interesting uh, little um, key to all of this. And he says, the, the very last line there, he says, these bones were completely dried out. Like, they're dry. There's no moisture in them. They, they, they might be sun-bleached. I don't know. They're just dry. And I think the reason we're being told that is it sends this message that these bones have been dead for a very, very long time. And we're going to find out in verse 11 that these bones actually represent Israel. But for now, I just want you to keep in mind, these are very dry bones. They've been dead a long time. Remember that God is a God of restoration. And one of the ways that he works is he breathes life into dead things and he gives them a purpose. He breathes life into dead things, and he gives them a purpose. But restoration with God almost always starts with death. It's the death of something, something that we're hanging on to, uh, something that we're chasing and pursuing instead of God. Uh, we're even told that we have to die to ourselves if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus told us, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross daily. Why daily? Well, because that's what it takes. Uh, because if we're not paying attention, we, we end up pursuing other things instead of Jesus. And so often, uh, we allow other things to come into our lives and take the place that only Jesus has the right to. And, and we see this so often, don't we? I mean, we'll, we'll allow sin into our lives, and we toy with it. We play with it like a pet, like we hang on to it, we feed it, we keep it around. And we think that, you know, sin just makes us bad. And I want you to know today, sin doesn't make you bad. It makes you dead. That's the problem. And Jesus goes, I don't want anything in that place that belongs to me. So you choose me wholly, fully, or you don't at all. And so we need to be in constant, every day, picking up our cross, we need to be in constant pursuit of Jesus Christ so that sin doesn't separate us from God, that it doesn't break that relationship that we have with him. We gotta constantly be repenting and confessing and drawing closer to Jesus. Don't allow anything in the place where Jesus belongs. It goes on in verse 3 to say, Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Uh, I wonder what would you have answered that question with? Like, that's a great question. And you're looking at this whole valley of dry bones, and he says, hey, do you think these bones can, can live again? Uh, what would you said? See, I don't know what I would have said. I, I might have said, well, no, or I don't think so. But I love his response. His response is just open. It's like, hey, only you know God. And I think his response makes the fathers happy. And, and you know why he answers this way instead of no or I don't think so? Because he has a history in watching God work and do miracles. See, I think our answer, whatever initially came to your mind, is based upon your experience with God, your personal experience. 
Have we taken steps with God in faith to watch him work? Because that would affect your answer to that question. This whole valley of dry bones, can they live? Absolutely. See, in Ezekiel's mind, he knows God is in the business of doing miracles. And his answer is pretty much, hey God, um, I know you. And I know you can do anything. And this whole death thing doesn't make a difference to you. Like, you're bigger than that. And then God gives him some instruction in verse 4. It says, Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles, muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Why? Now, this is the key to this entire text. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He says, speak a prophetic message. Again, I'm going to tell you something that I want you to tell the people or to the bones. And this is exactly what he does. And God says, look, I want you to tell the dry bones that I'm going to breathe life into them. I'm going to take something dead. I'm going to breathe life into it. And then I'm going to give it a purpose. And it's interesting because later on, Jesus would say about the same thing in John chapter 5. He said, and I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. God says, look, I'm going to breathe life into dead bones, and I'm going to raise them up. And he can bring life to dry bones. He can bring life to to things that are dead. And let me ask you, what are your dry bones? What are your dry bones? What, what are the areas of your life that are dead? Maybe they've been dead for a really long time. They're cracked and dry, and it's an area where um, you don't think life can come back to. Like, you think it's completely lost. What are the things that you think God can't bring back to life? Maybe it's your life. Maybe you have never received Christ. And because of the course that you've taken in life, you think you've gone too far. Like you've done things that God could never forgive. Like you're hoping he doesn't find out. Like he doesn't know already. What are your dry bones? Maybe it's a relationship or a marriage that you think is gone that, that you're not sure that God can breathe life back into. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's something that God has laid on your heart that you've neglected for so long that you don't think that you could restart again. See, I think God would ask you, um, can these bones live? Do you think that I can bring life to these things? What do you think? And he goes on in verse 7 and 8 to say, So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then, as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. I love how he starts this. He says, look, I, I, I prophesied. I gave him a prophetic message just as I was told. You know what he's talking about? Obedience. Obedience. God told me to do something, and I did it just as he told me. Can I just challenge you? If God has laid something on your heart, he's told you to do something this morning, do it. Do it. Don't delay. Don't push it off. Uh, notice that all these bones came together. Uh, the muscles and the, the sinews in some of your uh, translations, the, the, the skin, everything forms. But let me ask you this. Are they alive yet? No, they're not alive yet. Why? Because they don't have any breath in them yet. See, most of us, so we can look alive, can't we? Like we have bones, we have muscles, we have flesh. Um, but if you don't have the breath of God in you, 
you're not alive. And man, you can look put together and still be dead. You can have that job, you can have the reputation, you can have a thousand followers, you can have the house and the car and the title, you can have all that and still be dead. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been there, done that. Chased after everything else and yet you didn't have the breath of God in you and you knew you weren't alive. Uh, Verses 9 and 10, it says, Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. uh, Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me. And breath came into their bodies. They all came to what? They all came to life. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Ezekiel speaks to these bones twice. Uh, The first time, uh, they're formed. The second time, God breathes life into them. And I want to be very clear about this. Ezekiel's a prophet. He's speaking the prophetic word that God has given him, but he is not the one bringing these bones back to life. Uh, The word that's used here is ruah. it, It stands for the wind or the breath And I think more appropriately, the Spirit of God. And this is what God is bringing into this picture, is His Spirit, His his breath. He's breathing true life into these things. Uh, They didn't didn't come back to life. Even though they had the muscle, they had the bones all put back together, they had the skin, they they had all that, but they didn't have any life until God breathed on them, until God's Spirit entered into them. Uh, They weren't raised back to life either, so that they could go on with life. Did you notice that? It says that they all stood on their feet and they became a great army. They weren't raised to life to live for themselves. They became a great army. That's the story. That's the vision that Ezekiel gives. And then the explanation starts in verse 11. It says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. And the reason I want to pause here just for a minute because I think some of you, you felt that in your heart when I read that. Like you know what it's like to be in that place. Like there are some of you here in here right now that it, maybe it's, it's because you're lost. Like you've been searching your whole life and you've never given a, God an opportunity. And yet in this moment, you know that there's got to be more to this life. You're searching and you feel it. You're dry old bones and you have no life in you. Maybe you're broken. You've been stumbling through life with this injury and and it keeps taking a toll on you and maybe the people around you. Maybe it's a relationship that you feel responsible for and it's not in a good place right now. And you could say, just like Israel, you know what? We're old, dry bones. We're broken. Our hope is lost. It's finished. If that's you this morning... I want you to know that the story doesn't end there. It continues in verse 12. It says this, Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Why? Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am your Lord. Take note that this is the second time this comes up. The reason I'm doing this is because I want you to know that I am your Lord. He goes on to say, I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know, third time, 
that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. See, God's people did everything they could to turn away, to run away from him, and yet God never gave up on him. He pursued them, and he continued to pursue them and give them what they needed so that he could restore them back to himself. And some of you, you're here today just for this story, just for that one point, that God never gives up on you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've turned your back on him, he continues to pursue you, and he wants that relationship with you. You are dry bones, and you need what God offers this morning because God wants to bring life into your dry bones. Uh, If you're dry bones, what you need most is you need God's Spirit. You need God's Spirit to enter in, to, to fix that which is broken, to heal that which is wounded. See, we serve a God of restoration. This is why we celebrated what we celebrated last weekend. The fact that he went to the cross, that he rose from the grave, so that you could have a right relationship with God that's been broken since the very beginning. And Jesus made an opportunity for us to be restored back to God. Isn't that our testimony? That we were dry bones? That God breathed life into us because of what Jesus did on the cross? We now can have a right relationship with Jesus and we can be filled with his spirit, his ruah? I mean, that's our testimony. Um, this, This prophecy coming from 571 BC, fast forward all the way to today, and is more true today than it's ever been. I like the way Paul said it in Romans In chapter 8, he says, And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead we have living in us today. When you receive Jesus Christ, you are made right in that relationship and God fills you with his spirit. He takes something dead and he breathes life into it and then he gives you a purpose. See, God can restore things that you think are way beyond restoration. He can fix things that you think can't be fixed. He can heal wounds that you think you will suffer with those scars for the rest of your life. And God, the God of restoration, can come in and he can fix those things. He can heal those things and he can restore you back to himself. See, with God's spirit, uh, not only are we made whole, not only are we made right with him, but something amazing happens corporately. See, with God's spirit, uh, we're actually made into a great army. An army is a group of people who will do the will of their king. An army is a group of people who obey the commands of their commander. They have a general and they have a purpose. And that's what we are as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're an army. Now, how effective would it be if we all said, well, I want to be the general or I want to be the king? We wouldn't be very effective, would we? But as an army, when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord, again, three times in that text, I'm going to do this so that you will know that I am your Lord. When we acknowledge that, we become something incredible in his hands. When we start to move like he moves, speak like he speaks, go where he sends us, amazing things happen. His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, If you have a job today, It's because somebody decided that they had a job to do and they needed somebody to do it and they hired you to do it. What would happen tomorrow if you went into your job and you just said, you know what, Um, I don't want to do this anymore? 
Or, uh, you know what, I, I'm going to do this instead. I know this is what you hired me to do, but I'm just going to do this instead. What, what do you think would happen at work? See, I think you'd get fired. That's what I think. But yet, see, as disciples of Jesus Christ, so often our king tells us to do these things. We know where we're supposed to be obedient. We know what we're supposed to surrender. We know how we're supposed to be living our lives because of the instruction that we've been given in the text. And yet, we go and tell him what we want to do. Don't we? I'm so thankful Jesus doesn't fire us. Right? He continues to pursue after us. He, tr- he tries to get our attention. He tries to grow us up. And this is what we talk about, about becoming more like Christ every day. See, God breathes life into dead things, and he gives them a purpose. You've been given a purpose. All of us together, we form a great army. Armies have a purpose, and one of their main purposes is to fight for freedom. To fight for freedom. Another prophet by the name of Isaiah, he said it this way, and you'll be Um, You'll probably recognize this first line. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of uh, of God's anger against their enemies. So in this, he's kind of given some marching orders. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And he says here, uh, the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor. Let that sink in just for a minute. The time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, what would you think? If I said, the time of the Lord's favor has come, what would you want out of that? What would you want to see happen? Initial thought, what would you want to see? Is it, is it something like, God, I hope you bless me? I, I hope this bunion on my foot goes away, Right? Oh, I hope I get good grades in school. Is that what you're thinking? That the year the, the Lord's favor is upon us, is, is that what you would want out of that? Or would it be something bigger? I pray that if the time of the Lord's favor is here, that there would be no more sex trafficking, that there would be no more hunger, that people that need clean drinking water would have it, that, that the gospel is preached in every land across this globe, that orphans and foster kids um, would have families. Is that where your mind would go? See, as an army that marches to the beat of their king, that, that follows the commands of their commander, I think the things that break the heart of God should break our heart. See, when we're raised, when, we're, when God breathes his spirit into us and we stand, we don't stand on our own any longer. See, we stand for him. We, we begin to march for him. We want to see his mission accomplished, and we begin to fight for those things. And we need God to come in, and he needs to break our heart for the things that breaks his. See, did, he didn't give us life so we could stand for ourselves. He gave us life so that we could stand for others. That ruah that he gives us. When, when he gives us ruah, you get ruah, you get his breath, you get his spirit, but you also get his mission. And you can't have one without the other. With his breath, with his life, comes a mission. They're not separate at all. God did not save us so that we could sit in the barracks and listen to Christian music all day. He made us a great army, and he wants to send us out to accomplish the things that please him. He's given all of us life so that we might reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ to help bring life to other dead bones. Part of our purpose in this is to give God his breath back. 
He's given us his spirit. He's given us his breath, and we need to give it back to him, Uh, whether it's through sharing the gospel with the people around us, whether it's through singing his praises. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Maybe it's just in in the way that we share our lives with people and and speak. Um, Proverbs tells us that we have the power of life and the power of death in our tongue. Which Which one are we utilizing, right? Don't waste a single breath that God has given you. There's too many people around us who don't know who, uh, don't know who Jesus is, who are desperate, who need God's spirit. They need life brought into their dead bones so that they might be brought to life and given a purpose. And you know exactly who it is. We all have that one person that God has placed in our lives, at least one, that we know that we're supposed to be speaking words of life to, sharing the gospel with. You've been given God's breath so you could reach the world. Your mission always involves others. Jesus came and gave his life for you, and he asked us to turn around and do it for the rest of the world. I want us to go back to verse, um, chapter 37, verse 10, just for a second, because I think this is so incredible. Ezekiel says, So I spoke the message as he commanded me. First thing, obedience. This is what he commanded me to do. This is what I'm going to do. And he follows it to the T. And breath came into their bodies. Dead bones came back to life. The things that were dead, God breathed his spirit, his his breath into them, and they came back to life. They all came to life, and they stood up on their feet. Would you stand on your feet for me? Just all of you. So so I spoke the messages he commanded me. The breath came into their bodies. They all came to life, and they stood up on their feet. Why? Because he wanted to make them into an army, a great army. And that's what you are. As a body of believers, as, as a church, as the body of Christ, we have a king, we have a commander, and we have a mission. And my prayer is that this week that God would breathe on us, that we would sense his spirit like never before, and he would give us the courage to chase and follow after him in whatever it is that he's calling us to do. And I want to pray for that right now. Would you just join me? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now as your your army. God, we were dry bones. We were um, lost without you. And yet, because you loved us, you came and pursued us, even though we had turned away from you so many times. And God, I pray that we would leave here today with that that impression, knowing that it doesn't matter what we've done in our past, where we've gone, that, that you still loved us and you still pursued us. And may that cause us to lean into you even more. And God, in this moment, as we continue our worship, as we share with friends and and family here today, may we return your breath. May everything that we say and sing, may it bring glory and honor to your name. And God, I just pray that all of this is, is just molding and shaping us into people that look more and more like you. We give you all these things. We ask that everything that we do and say brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.